so the microphone was invented to amplify sound, and the series that we're in asks the question, what voice is being amplified the most in your life? In other words, what is it that you hear the loudest? What's impacting your emotions and your emotional well-being the most? Can we turn on these lights back up here again? Thank you. And, and, and so what in turn is dictating your actions? And, and we're asking with that question, Who's on the mic? In other words, who's got the mic in your story today? We, we wanna make sure that we know that we've got control over who gets their hands on the mic. And ultimately, we want that to be the voice of God, right? And so, but other voices are trying to get on the microphone. And one of those that uh, we're gonna be talking about today that I'm guessing every single person in the gathering today has dealt with at one time um, is comparison. Comparison is on the mic. And that happens from the time that we're born. And so we're gonna tell comparison to drop the mic today. And so for some of you, your whole life, you've been compared to your brother or your sister or anybody that got that going on. Um, your, your whole life has never been good enough. You're not as bright as them or as fast as them or whatever as them. For, for some of us, it was being compared to that other kid in the class or another person on the team, or maybe we were being compared to a picture that our parents had of what we should be, that sort of imaginary, unattainable goal that they always had in their minds. No matter what we did, how good or bad, it always was compared to their expectations. And maybe you put expectations on your own life, and you've been comparing yourself to that expectation for your whole life. But when comparison gets on the mic, it leads to two primary responses this morning. And one response is, this is the first blank in your notes if you're taking notes this morning, on the back side of your bulletins, flip it over. Our number one response is, I'm not good enough. Give you some time to write that down. I'm not good enough. And some of us have been living out that response for as long as we could remember. I am just not good enough. And the other response is this one. You just watch me because I'm gonna become better than everyone else. I'm gonna fight until I get to the top. I'm gonna get better than any, everybody else. And those two responses often trace their roots back to comparison being on the microphone. So it's looking out the window at our neighbors and their house is newer, their car is more contemporary, their kids are nicer, <laughs> their, their school that they got in is better than the school that we got in, the promotion they got at work is better than the promotion that we got at work. They went to uh, you know, Barbados for their vacation. We went to downtown for ours, you know. I mean, I don't know how it works in your world, but it's always looking over there at the family across the street, or it's a person at the office that's next to yours, or it's the guy in school that's right ahead of you academically, or someone on the cover of a magazine even. And it's us saying, how do we measure up? And once again, it puts us in that position of I'm not good enough, or I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make sure that I become the best. But here's the problem. Comparison comes from a seed called sin. In other words, if you go all the way back to Eden, as soon as Adam and Eve got their eyes off of the creator and onto the things that were created, that's when comparison and jealousy and sin entered into the story. And it trickled immediately into their offspring. Remember Cain and Abel? One, one was comparing the, his offering 
to the other offering of his brother, right? And jealousy set in and anger set in and then a murder happened, right? This is eight verses after Adam and Eve left the garden. Eight verses. The destructive patterns of comparison are everywhere and you'll know comparison is on the mic because number one, it will devalue your uniqueness. You're gonna write down quite a few things today if you're taking notes. Um, when comparison on the mic gets on the mic, it devalues your uniqueness. You're looking out the window or onto the screen and you're going, but look at what they have. But look what they can do. But, but look at how they look, right? And once we start down that road, ultimately, it erodes the sense that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The second thing that comparison does to us it is it disrupts our calling. It disrupts the assignment that we've been talking about all throughout the book of Acts. In other words, it gets in the way of the fact that there is a specific role that God wants each of us to play in the world. And as long as I'm looking at somebody across the street and somebody else and what they're doing in the world, it's distracting from or disrupting my particular assignment and calling and role that I need to play in the world and that God has for me. The third thing it does in our lives is it diverts our focus. That's the thing that's so difficult for a lot of us because staying focused is challenging in the world that we live in right now. But God's got something for you every single day. He does. He has an assignment for you. And I want us to be in tune with his voice and to hear his still small voice, that gentle whisper that we talked about um, last week so that we'll know how to do what we see the Father doing and say what we hear the Father saying. But when comparison gets on the mic, it's always telling you that there's something else going on somewhere else, right? It's it's the phrase that has become so popular in our culture. We've been talking about this, FOMO, F-O-M-O, short for fear of missing out, right? And it's comparison when you get right down to it. FOMO came into our lexicon officially in the year 2010 when it was put in the Guardian Glossary of Youth Internet Vocabulary. (laughs) But it started back in 2004 when a Harvard grad student um, was hanging out with his friends at their rented winter ski house in the mountains, okay? And so when they weren't in class at Harvard grad school and they were all at the ski house, they would use this term, and it started out as F-O-B-O, fear of better options. And then they decided it'll sound better if we make it FOMO. And so, are you tracking with the irony here? (laughs) Some Harvard grad students who have a winter ski house that they've rented are afraid of missing out. And, And at the very same time, the very same year, 2004, another Harvard student created a social media platform called The Facebook. And The Facebook was designed, its original design It was developed to compare students based on their appearance. So at the same time that these guys were afraid of missing out while they're at their ski house, not knocking them or their ski house, another student at possibly the most prestigious school on the planet is creating a social media platform, which obviously now has evolved into something far more than just rating students based on their appearance. Um, It's a platform that one in eight people on the planet Earth use, um, and out of both of them came something that is in you and it's in me, and it's called the human condition. And it is what happens when we take our eyes off of who God is and what he has called us to do, and comparison diverts our focus. 
And a few of you in here might remember the golden days of Kmart. Anybody um, Kmart shoppers, right? I don't know if anybody, you know, Kmart uh, that is in our backyard or we're in the backyard of what used to be Kmart is gone now. And I mean, Target is cool, but I don't know if it's as cool as Kmart was. <laughs> Kmart was where the, the common man shopped. And some of you will remember being in there and going down the aisle with your cart. And you know how much money you have because back then it probably wasn't a debit card. It was a $20 bill in your pocket and you had a shopping list, right? And so you're going down the aisle and you're, you're minding your own business. But then they came up with this brilliant thing at Kmart called the Blue Light Special. All right, anybody remember those? And, and so, so I, I mean, I, I know there's some people in here, they're, they're like, I don't, I don't know, I get my stuff delivered by drone, so I don't know what you're talking about right now. But they would have this blue light siren type thing on a pole with wheels, and they would roll it around the store and bring it over to a particular item in the store that maybe they had a surplus in, or, and, 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 and you, would, you would be in your aisle, and you would be going down your shopping list, and then this voice would come on the mic, and these words would come up. And does anybody know what I'm about to say? <laughs> Attention Kmart shoppers, <laughs> right? <laughs> And as soon as that happened, it didn't matter what you were doing, you are stopped in your tracks at that moment, and you know what's coming. Your blood pressure is going up, right? Your palms are getting sweaty, and you're starting to think, I'm about to knock somebody out, (laughs) right? This is the precursor to the Black Friday specials right at Walmart. And so this is where it all started. So it said, you know, they'd come on and say, attention Kmart shoppers, you know, for the next few moments, we're going to be running a blue light special on aisle 17, right? And so immediately, I'm figuring out which direction that I've got to go. I'm on aisle seven. I've got 10 aisles that I've got to go to get to this thing. And so, you know, they could tell, we're running a special on number two pencils, four packs for 99 cents. And so you're like, I don't even need pencils. But I am now doing a wheelie with my cart down the aisle, and I'm coming down to aisle 17, right? And you better get out of the way. And all of a sudden, everybody in Kmart is going down to aisle 17, coming around every corner, screeching in, sliding left, sliding right, bumping each other out of the way and grabbing stuff. Why? Because I've got FOMO, right? I don't, I don't want to miss out on the special thing. Even though I had a list, I had a plan, I had a budget, and now I'm wholly diverted by some sense of that same thing that is deep down inside all of us that makes us look to the left and makes us look to the right and wonder, am I good enough or what do I need to become the best, right? And that's what happens to you and to me when comparison is on the mic. Here's the thing. Some of you have rushed over to aisle 17 and God needs you on aisle seven. (laughs) But you've gotten diverted and distracted because you didn't feel good enough or you're determined that you're gonna be the best. I've gotta have those number two pencils, (laughs) right? And you are somewhere that you were never intended to be because comparison is hogging the mic. The last thing that I want to touch on that comparison does is it destabilizes your sense of accomplishment. So 
Number one, it devalues your uniqueness. Number two, it disrupts your calling. Number three, it diverts your focus. But maybe even more insidiously than all of that, it destabilizes your sense of accomplishment. So you worked hard, you did your best, you really did try to honor God, but at the end of the day, you looked left when you finished your work or you looked right and you saw what they did and what the other person did and all of a sudden, that famous quote of Theodore Roosevelt, it lands in your lap. Comparison is the thief of joy. And where you felt good about what you did five minutes ago, all of a sudden now you feel like a complete failure because what you did isn't as good as what they did. It's every preacher who goes home on Sunday afternoon after they've tried to build the church and they're like, man, we baptized some people today. By the way, we baptized three people from Destiny last weekend at Hills Alive. (laughs) Around 60 people all together at the Hills Alive Festival, so that's amazing. So, you know, the preacher is going, you know, man, he comes home from church. We baptized some people today, and it was amazing. We preached the gospel. We led people in worship. We served our community. We gave into the cause of the kingdom today. We saw people encouraged and set free. But then you get home, and you're swiping through the social media feed, and your other pastor friend, he happily posts, we saw 209 people put their faith in Jesus today. And that's more people than you had in your building And you're like, Lord, I'm so sorry that we're a people of such small faith. We failed. We only had two people go from death to life. And suddenly what was a fantastic day because of comparison, if you let it, is destabilized. And you set your sense of accomplishment, it just goes right out the window. And the problem with that is that if you let comparison hog the might, it pushes you into the red and it robs you of the rest that Jesus wants to give you. How many of you, yeah, every dashboard in a car, at least the older ones, there's a tachometer because every, everything's digital now, but that needle would, would go up from the black numbers, right, up to about six, and then it would go into the red numbers, seven, eight, and nine, measuring the RPMs or the revolutions per minute of your engine. And 4,000 maybe is not too bad. You could handle uh, the, the needle standing there, but if it goes up into 8,000 and stays there for any length of time, that's unsustainable, right? And when comparison is on the mic, it destabilizes our sense of accomplishment. It pushes us into the red. And that's why a lot of us are at a breaking point because we're at this breaking point because we're trying to prove that we're good enough. Any perfectionists in the house, right? Trying to prove that we're good enough and we're gonna do whatever it takes to make sure that we're the best. And so we stay in the red, sometimes our whole lives, while Jesus is inviting us into the rest. Jesus invites us to the rest. He said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, rest doesn't mean an eternal spiritual retreat on the mountainside, because the very next verse, this is what it says. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, right? So that means we're gonna till some ground. We're gonna plow up the dirt. We're gonna plant a crop. We're gonna see a harvest, you and me, but take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
In other words, there's a way to connect our lives to Jesus in such a way that we link arms with him and in such a way that we know that there's a role to be played. I know I have a job to do and I know that God has something that he wants me to do to accomplish and he has something that he wants me to leave behind for the next generation. But one way of doing that puts me in the red and another way of doing that puts me in the rest. It's all about linking arms with him and knowing what contentment really means, right? Joining together with the power and the calling of Jesus himself, knowing that if I link arms with him and work with him and what he's given me to do, he'll take care of the rest. He'll give me rest. So if that's what comparison does on the mic, then how do we get comparison off the mic? I think we can look at five verbs that we find in a passage that a lot of us know well. Hebrews chapter 12 and um, just reading the first few verses, this is what it says. This is, this is our key text for today. Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, one and two. And it says this, as for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. And then we, we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path that has already been marked out before us. That's a key phrase right there. We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and our expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So five verbs that I think will get comparison off the mic. The first verb is this, see. See, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that we are in a grand story on a long arc with a massive eternal implications. And the way that he explains that to us is by setting up chapter 11, which is many times is called the, the hall of faith or the chapter of faith. And he describes how important faith is. But then he gives us all these examples of faith and faithful people. And we know many of their names, right? Abraham and Sarah and David and Samuel, Gideon and Moses. And you've seen how their faith has changed history. But in the back half of chapter 11 are people that we don't know as well. They were thrown to the wolves. They were persecuted for their faith, but they didn't give up and their hope for God. And they pushed to the limit physically and they were martyrs for the faith in Jesus, but they never wavered. They trusted, they trusted in his sovereignty, right? In his plan. And so as this next section of scripture starts, he says, oh, and by the way, I want you to see that a great cloud of witnesses surrounds you. In other words, imagine that as you're running your race and you're coming to the challenging part of your race, there's a stadium full of these faithful saints and they're cheering for you as you run your race. So while you're looking out the window at the family that's across the road, you know, the, the, you're looking out the next door and wondering why their kids are more impressive or more or, or this or more that than your kids. You know, the writer here is saying, I want you to know that there is an entire stadium filled with people like Abraham and they're cheering for you in your race. While you're wondering if you're good enough or determining that you're gonna be the best, there's an entire cloud of witnesses cheering for you as you run the race that God has called you to run. 
And as you run your lap, having taken the baton from them, it's your turn to run. And he's saying here that, that you have to see the cloud. The first name in the cloud, by the way, is a guy by the name of Abel, the one who was sucked into the vortex of, of comparison which led to his demise. So it goes all the way back to Genesis, back to the one sacrifice versus the other. His was better than mine, right? And that makes me jealous and that makes me angry and I let that anger burn. And eventually there was death. The second verb that we see in this chapter is run. Run the race that is marked out for you. In other words, God has a specific assignment for each of us and the enemy's plan to keep you from assignment is multi-layered and multifaceted. but for sure, one of those ways is by getting you to look at the people in the lanes that are running next to you. But to understand um, in the economy of God, he doesn't make you like the people that are running in the lanes next to you. Right? In Romans 12, Paul writes it this way. He says, in the human body, there are many parts and organs, each with a unique function. And so it is in the body of Christ. And for though we, have, are, we are many, we've all been mingled into one body in Christ. And this means that we are all vitally joined together with each contributing to the others. But look at verse 6. It says, God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts. Right? Can I just repeat that? You know, what it's saying is God made us all different. He didn't want you to be like the person sitting next to you. He didn't want you to look like them, talk like them, laugh like them, process information like them, have the aptitude, the gifts, and the abilities, and the opportunities like them. That wasn't the plan of God for you. His goal was to make you, you and to make you different, to give you other gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So this is great. So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, then activate your gift by using the proportion of faith that you have to prophesy. It is, if your grace gift is serving, then thrive in serving others well. If you have the grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching. If you have the grace gift of encouragement, then use it to often encourage others. Giving to them to meet the needs of others, then may you prosper in your generosity without any fanfare. If you have the gift of compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. In other words, run your race. Run your race. The most important thing maybe for me to do to discover God's calling on my life is getting busy, getting on with what God has called me to do. <laughs> Sin wants us to do and what comparison wants us to do and what jealousy wants us to do is to look at the list. Well, why didn't I get prophecy? Why, I like prophecy. I wanted prophecy more than encouragement. Why did you give them encouragement and you gave me generosity, right? I, why did you give them leadership and give me mercy? Why don't I have what they have? And God is saying, because I decide who gets the gifts and I've decided which gift I'd like to give you to walk in. And now I would love for you to play your part in my story by exercising the gift in your lane because you're the only person who can run in your lane. <laughs> Right? And you've got a crowd who's cheering you on. And guess what? You are a guaranteed first place finisher in your lane. So run in your lane. Run your race. Run your race. The third of these verbs is let go. He said we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. And then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path that has already been marked out before us. And why is it 
that when we read this verse, we always think of some terrible, horrible, bad sins that if we do those, it's going to keep us from winning our race. And for sure, that's the case, but it's more often what happens in our lives, it's, it's sins of jealousy, envy, covetousness, not embracing the fact that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, not accepting the fact that God has given me a unique talent and a unique gift and a unique I'm not good enough. And God says, forget about all that because I gave you something special and I put something amazing into your life and there's a calling and anointing and a purpose in your life to do great things and the power of Holy Spirit is in you to change the world, hello, and to change eternity. So stop playing it all down and start embracing the fact that you are mine and you've got an amazing lane and an incredible calling on your life. Get rid or let go of the sins that entangle you. But some of us look like we're in the race and it's like we're, we're running a sack race and God is saying, your stride is way bigger than that. But as long as you're looking to the left and you're looking to the right, you're never going to hit your stride that he made you for. So get rid of what you need to get rid of today, is what he's saying. And it may be that you had you know, nine cheeseburgers and you can't finish the race, but more than likely, here's the case, you ate comparison for breakfast and you can't breathe. So let go of it. Well, how would we do that? The fourth verb, fix. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We can talk about our current culture. You know, some of you are not as much on social media, so congratulations to you. Some of you are apparently are with a billion people on Instagram um, today and about three billion on Facebook. And two questions are often asked. You know, who's following you? Does anybody know how many followers you have on Instagram or Facebook? You know, just roughly. Somebody's, somebody's in the audience right now saying, no, Sean, I, I'm actually spent uh, most of my week this uh, memorizing the Greek New Testament, so uh, I haven't noticed how many followers I have on Instagram. Um, and the other most crucial question is, who are you following? And I'm not trying to be saying this. If Jesus isn't at the top of the people of who you're following, you're most likely a person who's got comparison hogging the mic because he's the one who said, follow me, right? And so the writer of Hebrews, he got it and he said this, if you're gonna run your race, if you're gonna get free from the comparison trap, if you're gonna be able to keep your joy in that sense of accomplishment, if you're gonna manage somehow to not be distracted by the blue light special, <laughs> the only way that you're gonna do that is if you fix your eyes on Jesus. And so if you want to compare yourself, he said, I'll give you something to compare yourself to. Great, compare yourself to Jesus because he's the only one that your heavenly father has said about, you're the best you when you look most like him. And so that's your best hope. And that's why I brought you from death to life. And that's why I put my spirit in you and I made you a brand new creation. That's why I'm filling you with my word and I'm, I'm putting you in a community and giving you a renewed mind, right? So that you can mature into the very likeness of my son, Jesus Christ. I'm trying to mold you and conform you and shape you into the very image of Jesus. And he's the one that you need to fix your eyes on because not only is he your ultimate goal, but you've got the materials that you need through Holy Spirit to become more and more and more like him. So fix your eyes on him. And then the last of these verbs is fight. 
because this isn't necessarily going to be easy and there's nothing easy about shifting something that maybe you've been dealing with in the trajectory of your life, right? For a lot of us, our earliest memory as a kid is when you heard your parents say, why aren't you more like him? <laughs> or why aren't you more like her? Maybe you, you, know, you listen to your spouse say, you know, why can't you be more athletic like them? Or why can't you be more fun like those people? Or you've told yourself, you know, why aren't you more energetic or engaging? Or why aren't you more of that or less of this or less of that? And you've told yourself, why? <laughs> you've told yourself even, and it's, and it's been this constant for you to have comparison on the mic and it's been hogging the mic for your whole life and getting it off isn't, isn't gonna be as easy as much as I'd like it to be as, oh man, we had a great series and the second talk was comparison is on the mic. <laughs> and so that's all gonna go away now. It is not gonna go away without you fighting for it to go away. And where do I get that? I'm getting it right here in the text. This is Jesus' example. This is what he says because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and he conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, when I do that, I'm asking the question, okay, if I'm looking at him, what's he looking at? Well, it says it right here in the text, the joy. He was looking at joy. He was looking at you being connected into relationship with Almighty God, and he saw joy, and he saw God getting the glory, and he saw you getting reconnected to God, and that's what he saw, and between him and joy was the cross. And so he said, if I've got to go through the cross so that they can know that they are loved and valued and prized by Almighty God, that they don't need to look at that family or the guy next door or in the other office and they have the opportunity to know that God Almighty thinks that they're amazing and he made them amazing and he gifted them amazingly and he put them in a story to do something amazing for the glory of God. That's the end game. If I've got to go through the cross to make that happen, then I'm going to fight with everything that I've got for that outcome. So that some morning they can wake up and go, that comparison game is over. My name is called Daughter of the Most High God, the end. <laughs> And then ultimately, I can find my lane, and I can run in my lane, and I can, be, I can be at rest running in my lane versus being in the red trying to run in your lane. And at the end of the day, I can hopefully hear, what, what words? What words do we want to hear when we die? Well done what? Good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm so proud of you. What you want to hear is, thank you for running your race. Well done. And only one person can tell you that because only one person knows what we were given and only one person knows everything about us and only one person knows what opportunities were placed in front of us and only one person knows whether we trusted him or not to take a step into those opportunities, right? Only one person knows in his sovereign will how all of those pieces fit together and only one person at the end of the day can say, I know what I gave you and I know how I made you and I know what I led you to do and I know what I spoke to your heart and I know all the gentle whispers that I put inside of you and I know the things that people don't know and I saw the decisions that you made that nobody else applauded and I saw and heard the prayers that nobody else heard and I know the real story I would like to say now well done good and faithful servant you have finished your race and you can enter in now into my rest and I'm telling you the more you fight for that 
the less you're gonna fight for what somebody else has. It's so interesting. Think about when Jesus shares the parable of the talents. A talent we know is about a day's worth of labor. So the master is gonna go for a minute and he tells these guys, you get five talents, you get two, you get one. What immediately happens, even in our minds as we read that story, (laughs) right? We're playing the comparison game. Comparison jumps on the mic almost immediately. Why didn't I get five? Why did he get two? You know, why don't you get five? I just got one? What are you talking about, Jesus? (laughs) Right, Why, why is this in the story? It's not about how much you get. Because apparently in God's economy and in God's kingdom, he doesn't pass out equal stuff, right? But he grades on the same curve. And the curve is called faithfulness. It's not about whether you got one or whether you got five, it's about how faithful you are running with the one. You see that? So see, run, let go, fix, and fight. That's good stuff. In closing, I want to give you just really quickly, I want to give you just a few practical things that you can do right away. And you can start with these things tomorrow. So write them down. Number one, start with gratitude tomorrow. When you pray and you talk to God, always remember to say thank you. That's an amazing place to start. Start with gratitude. Get comparison off the mic that way. Number two, we're going to run through these, all right? Have a plan for tomorrow of what you believe God wants you to do with your life. And that will save you time watching what everybody else is doing with their lives, right? If you have a plan of what God wants to do, that's a whole other message, a whole other series. We've done it before. It's so important. Hear the voice of God. Know what his plan is for your life. Number three, don't always pick the very best person in your discipline to compare with yourself. Do you notice how we do that? You notice how we do that? You you want to become a better vocalist? So what do you do? You find the one person that you know is the very best vocalist of all the singers in the history of singers, right? And I'm going to become as good as him or as good as her. And then you do that in all of the areas of your life. And so you've gotten all the people who won best in show in all the various disciplines of life around you. And you're comparing yourself and trying to be better than all of them. And it's okay. Let me just say this to maybe pick maybe this, the 10 people in your local area. Let's narrow it down a little bit that you respect. And then maybe, you know, go for number 10 as a starter. Give yourself a break in the process. Okay. Number four, when you find people who inspire you, Decipher what you can learn from them versus how you compare to them. Because some of you are going, Sean, I like to compare myself to people. I like to push myself. That's why I'm in CrossFit. It tells me on the computer every day how I'm doing and it lists all the other people in the world and I like that. It motivates me. It makes me do those ropes a lot harder, you know, and I go home and I carry the washing machine up and down the stairs (laughs) and I need that, right? Okay, great, I'm with you on that. Not the CrossFit part, but the being inspired part. But there is a difference between being inspired and comparing yourself to other people. You see that? Do you see the difference in that? So so yeah, if you're better at that than me, I will try to learn from you. I mean, I listen to people communicate all the time, and I listen to all sorts of podcasts about being a better leader and a preacher and a communicator. Communicator. And because I communicate, I want to listen to communicators communicate about a variety of different things, right? I will watch and I will listen, and my goal is to learn. 
because I want to become the best that I can become. I want to learn from other communicators, and tons of them are better than me. And so I have got to have space in my life to understand that these people are better than me at this, but here's the difference. When you see people who are better than you, who inspire you, try to decipher maybe the three, four, five things that they do to make them so good at what they do and learn from them, right? Versus walking away going, oh my goodness, they're better than me, I'll never be as good as them. Or the other one, one of these days, I'll guarantee I'll be better than them, <laughs> right? Both of those seeds produce a harvest that you don't want. Okay, here's the next one. Compare progress gained in your life, not just what needs to be achieved. In other words, if you wanna compare, look back a year ago and go, you know what? I'm not doing as terrible as I thought. <laughs> or look back from when you started to where you are today. And look back to, to when you first decided to make that change to where you are right now and make that comparison so that you can find joy in the progress of what God is doing in your life. The next one, publicly praise the success of others. And I would say, especially those who've achieved what you've wanted. Publicly, I don't feel like it, <laughs> Pastor Sean. <laughs> I didn't say, when you feel like it, publicly praise others. <laughs> Just do it publicly on your Instagram, Facebook, wherever you do your social media, at the office, in a conversation with friends, after work, publicly praise. Man, did you see what she did in that deal and the way she worked that out? I mean, that was phenomenal. That was one of the best moves that I've ever seen. Did you see the way that she led her kids through that tough situation? That was phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal parenting. Unbelievable. And as you do that, what you're going to find is you'll find that grip of comparison loosening in your life. And with that, if you get ahead and you get recognized, then credit the people that you learn from that help you get where you are, right? Because when we finally arrive and we get recognized and we go, thank you all so much. I want to thank the big man upstairs. You know, in instead of going, you know what? Can I just take a moment and tell you how I got here? I got here because I've been watching him for the last five years. And he's been an excellent example for me. Or she, she has taught me without even knowing it, everything that allowed me to get into this position that I'm in right now. So I just want to thank her for being amazing. I want to thank her for being who she is because she is responsible for a lot of the success that I'm walking in right now, that people are directing you know, all this praise towards me. That attitude is an attitude that runs contrary to the arrogant, jealous, and envious heart. And it breaks the cycle of comparison in our lives. And then lastly, this is the last thing. You can start doing this tomorrow too. Notice who might be struggling with comparison to you. Is there anybody in an area of life who's looking at you right now going, oh man, I just wish I had their family. Or, you know, if I just had their spouse. <laughs> or if I had kids like their kids, or if I had a job like their job, or if I looked like they look, or if, if I had the kind of money that they have, or if I had this, or if I had that, or if I had the other, or, you know, if I had the peace of mind that he has. I mean, is anybody looking at you and maybe looking at you going, I'll never be like them. I'm not as good as them. And if you notice that, can you humbly get close enough to them to share Maybe both your secrets of how you got to where you are and also share some of your struggles. 
I think that's important too, so that they'll know, oh my goodness, man, I used to think this guy was the big deal, but now, you know, he's kind of moved up to the top of my prayer list, (laughs) That guy's got some issues. No, most of the comparison gaps that we see, a lot of them are a mirage. You don't want their houses. You don't, you know, have any idea how upside down they are on their finances. You don't know how close they are to cashing it all in. You don't know how many times, you know, they thought about bailing out. Uh, You don't know what a thin sliver of ice that their future is on. That's just the highlight reel that you see and the freedom that comes when you can find out, am I making anybody else feel inferior because I want to get close enough to them to let them know, hey, here's, here's just two or three things that I'm doing that seem to be working for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to share those things with you because I hope that maybe they'll get you there. And, you know, by the way, can I just be honest with you about some struggles that I'm dealing with too right now? I think if you put those things in practice, Tomorrow, you will turn from a person who has had comparison dominating your mic to a person who's starting to feel some contentment taking root in your heart, right? Jesus said this. Let's end with this scripture. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I'm tempted to turn my head to the left lane, to the right lane. You know, my prayer this morning is just that I would turn my head and might fix my eyes on Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word to us. You are good. God, I pray that you would help us to get comparison off the microphone in our life. And Lord, that we would, Fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. We have so much hope, so much life, so much purpose that you can give us if we just grab a hold of all that you have for us instead of looking at the other person, the person across the street, what they have, what we don't have. God, you, can we just acknowledge all together this morning that God is more than enough for anything and everything that we need? You are more than enough, God. We, we trust in that, we rest in that, we come and rest in you, Father God, this morning. Your yoke is easy, your burden is light. God, we thank you for your life-changing word to us this morning. God, I hope that we can leave this place filled up, spilling over with all of the purpose and authority and the assignment that you have given us. In your mighty name we pray, amen.